0: thank you for downloading from the great commission society support for this podcast comes from your generous gifts and donations you can find out more about our global ministry and team at www.greatcommissionsociety.com
1: edward kimball was concerned about one of his young sunday school students who worked at a shoe store in town one day kimball visited him at the store found the student in the back stocking shoes and led him to Christ there and then. Dwight L. Moody eventually left the shoe store to become one of the greatest preachers and evangelists of all time. Moody, whose international speaking took him to the British Isles, preached in a little chapel passed by a young man with the imposing name Frederick Broverton Mayer. In his sermon, Moody told an emotionally charged story about a Sunday school teacher he had known in Chicago, who personally went to every student in his class and led every one of them to Christ. That message changed Pastor Mayer's entire ministry, inspiring him to become an evangelist like Moody. Over the years, Mayer went to America several times to preach. Once in Northfield, Massachusetts, a confused young preacher, sitting in the back row, Heard Mayer say, if you're not willing to give up everything for Christ, are you willing to be made willing? That remark led J. Wilbur Chapman to respond to the call of God on his life. Chapman went on to become one of the most effective evangelists of his time. A volunteer by the name Billy Sunday helped set up his crusades and learned how to preach by watching Chapman. Sunday eventually took over Chapman's ministry, becoming one of the most dynamic evangelists of the 20th century. In the great arenas of the nation, Billy Sunday's preaching turned thousands of people to Christ. Inspired by a 1924 Billy Sunday crusade in Charlotte, North Carolina, a committee of Christians were dedicated to reaching that city for Christ. The committee invited the evangelist Mordecai Hamm to hold a series of evangelistic meetings in 1932. A lanky 16-year-old sat in the huge crowd one evening, spellbound by the message of the white-haired preacher, who seemed to be shouting and waving his lone finger at him. Night after night, the teenager attended and finally went forward to give his life to Christ. The teenager's name was Billy Graham, the man who has undoubtedly communicated the gospel of Jesus Christ to more people than any other man in history. Remember how this sequence of events started? A nobody named Kimball, concerned for one of his students, visited him at a shoe store, and in doing that, he changed the world. Millions of people have been affected by his decision to go to that shoe store and share the gospel with one person. And millions more will continue to feel the impact of it. Can anything like that happen today? Well, you bet it can. God wants to use you to change the world.
0: Matthew 28, 18 to 20 is the most well-known biblical record of what is commonly referred to as the Great Commission, But despite the significance of these and other Bible verses that call Christians to go and make disciples of all nations, a surprising proportion of church-going Christians in the world are generally unaware of these famous words from Jesus. For many of us, the Great Commission has instead become the Great Omission. Hello and welcome to our GCS podcast with international evangelist and author Tony Anthony. The mandate to evangelize and to always be prepared to give a defense for our faith is directly tied to obedience to Christ. Yet few people engage with an ever-increasingly hostile culture for a variety of different reasons. An absence of evangelism training leaves many Christians struggling to know what to say and how to say it. How can the church fulfill its great commission when most Christians struggle to define what it is? What are the contributing factors and how do we fearlessly engage a culture that views the Christian faith as irrelevant and irrational? Let's join Tony as he examines the biblical meaning and significance of the Great Commission.
1: In this teaching series, we set out looking at the distinction between works, the effects and the words of the Gospel. When Christians focus their attention solely on the works of the gospel but ignore Jesus' mandate to speak the words of the gospel that we read in Matthew 28 verse 19, what separates them from the good Buddhists or the good Muslims or good Hindus or the good atheists that are also doing good works? Surely nothing at all. Thirdly, we need to recognise that there are some great evangelists in our local churches today who we must rejoice in and support. In this sense, we're talking of Ephesians of four, eleven evangelists. You know those particularly gifted and called to work in spreading the gospel and training others to do so as well. You know the difficulty is that so often church leaders and congregations fail to support and encourage such people. Forgive me a moment of generalization, but I can't help notice certain shared character traits can often be observed in such evangelists. You know we tend to be highly driven, highly motivated passionate and imaginative in our zeal to propagate the gospel. However, the flip side of these things is we can appear impetuous, outspoken, possibly arrogant and too self-assured. Oh, I'm so sorry. You know, we don't like being held back by church politics. Of course not. Administration and codes of conduct and so on. And, you know, we're too busy trying to get on with the job to be team players or or think of the consequences of our actions. You know, I'm generalising terribly, of course, but I suspect this is ringing a few bells with some people. You know, the sad fact is that often the local church doesn't recognise the need to support, channel, encourage and teach such people without quashing their enthusiasm, pouring cold water on their passion, halting their go-getting approach, you know, stifling their God-given gift. I knew the moment I met Neil that he was a very, very gifted evangelist. I also knew it would be a whole heap of trouble as well. He came to our ministry as a very well, you know, very new Christian. And as a man, he had more baggage than you care to know about. But as a newly saved soul, he had an infectious radiance and he simply couldn't help but tell anyone and everyone what Jesus had done for him. He'd not been... Uh, part of our ministry team, for very long. When I started to get complaints and queries about him, he was, you know, too mouthy, a little insensitive, lacking in compassion. You know, maybe too much of a loose cannon at times, and sometimes spouting questionable theology. Well, you know, the rest of our team were right to be concerned. But one of the aims of our organization is to train and nurture anyone who is willing to lay himself down for the gospel, no matter how difficult that might turn out to be. And Neil remains a tough case with many personal issues to contend with. But God's grace continues to refine him. And, you know, few men are more effective in bringing hardened alcoholics, you know, the battered, the beaten, the broken, the bereaved, and the dropouts to the foot of the cross like him. He's an amazing evangelist. But what I wonder would happen to my friend if his gift was not recognised, if his fellow church members saw only his failings. You know, maybe nervous of his blunt and outspoken zeal, you know, relegated him to the coffee rota or some other less visible role where he couldn't be an embarrassment, perhaps. Not that there's anything wrong with those roles, but when people are put in those roles so that they're not heard or seen. You know, that's not right. The chances are he would soon be discouraged, wouldn't it? You know as as beaten by the church as as by life, you know finally he would probably abandon his gifting. Meanwhile, the church would lose a fantastic potential evangelist, and many lost would never hear God's plan of salvation. What's my point? We must recognize the gifted evangelists among us if we fully embrace the unity celebrated in Psalm one hundred and thirty three and preached in Ephesians 4, you know, we cannot allow church history to repeat itself by dispelling evangelists simply because we don't know how to handle them. You know, as with all the gifts, leaders need to ensure that our evangelists are working to their full capacity, that we don't try to chop off their legs just because we don't like how fast they're running. Ultimately, when our evangelists are at work with the full support of their congregations, we should prayerfully expect souls to be added to the kingdom day by day, week by week. Amen? The fourth observation about world evangelism today concerns the fact that most Christians in their everyday activities no longer intentionally proclaim the full gospel to non-Christians. For evidence of this, you probably need to look no further than your own backyard. I mean, How about you? When did you last speak the gospel to a non-Christian? Maybe earlier today or yesterday, last week, last month? Ever? You know, I often open my training meetings by getting people to put up their hand if they have shared the gospel within the last 24 hours, you know, in a meeting of, for example, 800 people or so recently. Only four people could raise their hands. And one of them was me, by the way. <laughs> the other one was my colleague. You know, this is a very common percentage. And bear in mind that this is a crowd of people who have chosen to attend a meeting on evangelism training. <laughs> you know, hello. You know, So what we might assume, they have a good level of enthusiasm for the Great Commission, right? If it's a long time since you've shared the gospel with anyone, I will assure you, you're not alone. But I will not say, don't worry. It's been suggested that today in the West, 98% of believers don't proclaim the gospel. No wonder Billy Graham coined the phrase, the unceded generation, to describe those who have never heard the gospel, the good news. Why is this the case? Well, again, I come back to perceived ignorance of the Great Commission. Remember, if if you will, this is called the Great Commission, not the minuscule or the op- optional or the suggested commission, <laughs> you know, or if you can be bothered commission. Yet, It was back in 1994 the Barna Research Group found that among American adults who said they were born again, 75% said they couldn't even define the Great Commission. And as a result of their research, the Barna Institute came to define um, conclusions regarding the state of the Great Commission. They asserted how ironic that during this period of swelling need for the proclamation of the gospel, that the ranks of the messengers have dissipated to anemic proportions. You know, we only need to look at a few statistics to wake up to the reality of people's interest in Christianity. The 2001 National Census in the UK suggested a healthy 71% of people claim to be Christian. This same poll recorded 390,000 people claiming to be Jedi Knights. Oh, please, <laughs> Jedi Knights is their religion. You know, a group that was larger than the Sikh or the Jewish or the Buddhist population, even. <laughs> you know, what is it is Well, coming to? Jedi Knights. You know, however, Dig a bit deeper and it becomes apparent just how many people in the UK are sincere or understanding in their claim to be Christian. You know, whilst a large proportion claim to be Christian, a massive 66% of this group also say they have no actual connection to any church or even religion The Christian Research Group's fourth English church Census reported half a million people stopped attending church on Sunday between a given year and four years later. Similarly, the Daily Telegraph's religious affairs correspondent, Jonathan Peter, said that while 1,000 new people are joining a church each week, 2,500 are leaving. And moreover, a tier fund report claims 59% of people never go to church, and most of them are unreceptive and closed to attending church church going is simply not on their agenda challenging stuff isn't it but if we as christians struggle to define the great commission how are we meant to be actively taking part in it if we can't even define it it makes sense doesn't it you know let's consider four elements that make up this mighty appointment you know jesus was very clear when he said go into the world preach the gospel baptize those who are saved and disciple those who are baptized Why do we need to define the Great Commission? You know, imagine we gather all the Olympic athletes in the stadium, then someone just shouts, Go! (laughs) You know, what would happen? There'll be utter confusion. What are we meant to be doing? Who are we meant to be doing it with? Where are we supposed to be? When would it end? (laughs) Where are we going? (laughs) When do we get get refreshments? You know, if the athletes don't have guidance and know exactly what they're meant to be doing, how are they do it? It's the same with us. If as Christians we are uncertain, unconvinced and not at all confident of the Great Commission, then how can we take part in it? And if we're not taking part in it, then what are we doing? What is on the radar of our Christianity? We go to church, we do good works, we pray, we sponsor children, we worship, we have family time, we make offerings, we meditate on the Word of God, all great things. But what is at the centre of our radar? Is it a cup of tea and a muffin after our church service on Sunday? Or is it that great thing Jesus has asked us to do? What happens to going into the world and proclaiming the gospel? We're only 2% of believers actually doing it. Why is that? We have a very serious problem here, and we need to come up with some very serious answers. An old friend of mine once had a very disturbing vision of the Niagara Falls. In his vision, the water was made up of people. There are millions of good people. All swimming along, living their lives, caring for their family, keeping their bank accounts healthy, working hard, until suddenly they come to a point of death. This is when they fell over the mighty ravine, straight down into the depths of hell. I remember my friend relating this vision to me. I shuddered at the thought, but it didn't end there. He told me back up on the river, there were the Christians. They were the nice, still waters where all Everything was all pleasant. You know, they were singing hymns, worshipping worship songs, enjoying fellowship together, praying and supporting one another, and sometimes interacting with other people on the periphery of the still water. But what I noticed was that they all had their backs to the falls. They were completely ignorant and happily oblivious to the millions of people tipping over the edge. Well, when it comes to the collapse of the Great Commission, today the evidence is unquestionable. It's been said that only 2% of Christians actively proclaim the gospel. But forget percentages and statistics and evidence. If the Great Commission has collapsed, it is because it has little place in, in the hearts of those who claim to love the Lord Jesus, the one who gave it. So my question is, what about you? Do you truly believe it? If Jesus Christ would to appear to you now and ask you in person to go into the world and proclaim the gospel, baptise those who are saved and disciples those who are baptised, it's highly likely you'd say, yes, Lord, I'd like to think that's the case. You know, with your help, I will. I'll go and I'll go right now. <laughs> Let me remind you, though, he has and he has, he, you know, he does. You know, he's already done this 2020 years ago. So, so what's stopping it, you? What's stopping us? You know, the story of Charles Blondin, you probably heard it before, it paints a real life picture of faith and action. Blondin's greatest fame came in June 1859, when he attempted to become the first person to cross a tight rope, stretch over a quarter of a mile across the mighty Niagara Falls. He actually walked across 160 feet above the falls, several times, each time with a different daring feat, once in a sack on stilts, Can you believe it? On a bicycle in the dark and once even carried a stove and cooked an omelette. The crowd oohed and aahed as Blondin carefully walked across one dangerous step after another, blindfolded and pushing a wheelbarrow. Upon reaching the other side, the crowd's applause was louder than the roar of the falls. Blondin suddenly stopped and addressed his audience. Do you believe I can carry a person across in this wheelbarrow? The crowd enthusiastically shouted, Yes! 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 You're the greatest tightrope walker in the world! You can do anything! OK, said Blondin. Would somebody get in the wheelbarrow? The Blondin story goes that no one did. I wonder, would you be willing to step into the wheelbarrow and let Jesus push you across the tightrope? I wonder, would you be willing to share the gospel of a non-Christian person?
0: We hope you enjoyed the message. Please subscribe and leave a rating and review to help others find our podcast. At GCS, our mission is to communicate the gospel message relevantly to every person in the world. One way we do this is by providing practical resources to help you grow in your faith and present the Christian faith across different cultures. You can find out more about our resources at www.greatcommissionsociety.com If you would like to donate to our efforts, be sure to contact us or you can donate online. GCS is a listener-supported ministry and is chaired by a board of directors in Edinburgh, UK.